Welcome to the B'nai B'rith International Podcast. I'm CEO Dan Mariash. Thank you for joining us today. Today, we're uncovering hidden gems in the music world, Canadian Jewish musicians whose influence and talent were in inverse proportion to their fame and fortune. But before we jump in, a quick reminder to check out all of our podcasts. This is our 99th, along with our series, Conversations with B'nai B'rith. For additional interviews with diplomats, authors, Holocaust survivors, athletes, musicians, chefs, even an astronaut. Make sure you never miss an interview by subscribing to the B'nai B'rith YouTube channel and liking us on Facebook. And be sure to visit our website, b'naibrith.org, to learn more about our work across the globe. Now, back to the music. Today, we're talking with David Eisenstadt about his book, Under the Radar. 30 Notable Canadian Jewish Musicians. Mr. Eisenstadt is a longtime public relations consultant who launched the communications group in Toronto in 1973, now the Canadian partner of IPREX Global Communications. A music aficionado, he has taken what he calls an historical approach in this, his first book, which he's written with acclaim and appreciation for the artists who never quite basked in the limelight. His book includes chapters on pop singer Corey Hart, folk singers The Travelers, jazz singer Sophie Millman, rock star and broadcaster Danny Marks, children's music trio Sharon, Lois, and Bram, and a film score writer and composer Howard Shore, among others. Heard of them? Well, that's the reason he wrote the book. David, thank you for being here. It's nice to have you with us. So great to be with you, Dan, and I'm most appreciative to B'nai B'rith International for this uh, time that we get to spend together. Uh, it's, uh, it's truly a delight to be here. Well, you've written about one of my longtime, lifelong passions, music and the people who create it. And as a DJ in my younger days, I'm not sure I had heard of most of the people that you write about in this book, although, of course, uh, over the years, um, we've heard uh, of, of many Canadian artists, um, most of whom are not Jewish, and I would cite people like Gordon Lightfoot and Celine Dion, Michael Bublé, Paul Anka, uh, Anne Murray, uh, etc. So uh, why is it important to respect and recognize these musicians who never quite earned the acclaim and fame that was perhaps their due? Well, there, there's a bit of a story to this, so if you'll allow me uh, to try to uh, tighten tighten it up just a bit. Uh, during the at the outset of the pandemic, um, one of the realities in Canada was that a number of uh, <clears throat> news media outlets were were shutting down uh, and and trying to figure out um, sort of moving from print to viral to online and so on and so forth. And uh, the Canadian Jewish News, which is a longstanding tabloid publication, tanked for the second time. Uh, a number of uh, individuals kind of got together and uh, I was approached uh, to be a writer uh, among a group of people who were going to do this strictly for the labor of love. Uh, the publication was called Canadian Jewish Record. Uh, it was thought to be uh, a bridge until possibly the Canadian Jewish News came back in some other form um, with a long-standing history. Um, so I was asked to, to get on board, and they made it very clear there would be no advertising, uh, uh, no one was going to get paid, strictly labor of love. And I said, well, I'm happy to, uh, to think about being one of your writers, but I'd like to kind of pick my spot. And uh, there are so many 
qualified people to talk about the issues that an organization like B'nai B'rith is involved in day in and day out. I thought arts and culture, there's a, there's a topic area that I don't think gets enough of a, um, enough of a play. And so I basically said, I would like to write about musicians, musicians who in, in, in their own genres, quite notable, but, but have fallen out of view. And uh, I would like to write from a historic, not a critical perspective, not going to write puff pieces, not going to write uh, softball stuff, but, but really tr- historic narrative that would um, give people a better understanding of, of the genesis and, and the history of, of these important people who've fallen out of view. Is there a common thread, and we'll get into the specifics in a moment, is there a common thread among these 30 musicians that you focused on uh, besides their Canadian Jewish roots? Well, the common thread is that, like, like us all, we're, we're from immigrant families. And whether it was Belarus or the Ukraine or, or uh, Germany or Poland, um, all of them, uh, their parents, the grandparents, came to Canada as they came to the United States looking for a safe harbor in, 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 in very difficult times going back years and years, and we, we know all of that. But the parents instilled in them a, an absolute need to be better educated, sorry, to be educated and, and, and go above the line, and encouraged their, their offspring to take up a musical instrument. Uh, the history of klezmer, if we go back, I mean, it was all fiddles and clarinets and, and musical instruments that people could run with you know, when, when, when you had one foot out the door and one foot in the door, as the pogrom was happening, what did you grab? If you played a fiddle, not a violin, a fiddle, you took it. It was easy to take. Drums, a little tougher. You know, we've had really, we as, as a, a Jewish community globally have had such an impact uh, on music. You know, it's funny you mentioned fiddle. I, I was uh, years and years ago, must have been 1990, I was in Budapest. And we went out very early in the morning to meet a train that had come out of Soviet Union uh, with Soviet Jewish immigrants. Uh, and they got off the, the, the train, we greeted them, and there was a, a little boy um, whose name was Daniel, as it happened, um, who got out, couldn't have been more than five years old, and he was clutching a, a violin. Uh, so um, this is, music has been so important to us. Do you think that Jews have have a special connection to music? I mean, here in this country, for example, um, if someone were to do, and, and, and there have been a number of people who've written a book about the Great American Songbook and the, the impact of Jews on popular music uh, in this country. Well, I think all immigrant uh, families uh, have varying degrees, I guess, of musical instruments. I mean, of playing musical instruments. Uh, I don't think we're any more special than anyone else. But the reality is that, uh, as I s- said at the outset, I started writing these columns for this weekly uh, publication. Um, and um, actually, every every time I would write about uh, a particular artist, uh, the feedback was incredible. Usually, reduced, if you will, to a, a phrase, I didn't know that, or who knew? Uh, and and it, it was kind of like, it, it, just, it just started to morph and morph and morph and morph, because people would recommend bygone musicians, 
just because, have you heard about my cousin, who was the concertmaster of the Toronto Symphony Orchestra from 1936 to 1949? And I'm going, no. And I would do some research, check it out. All of a sudden, I find this, this wonderful treasure trove of information. I, I, I said about uh, very simple criteria. Canadian, not necessarily Canadian-born. Jewish, of course. Uh, all genres, all genders, individuals, groups, alive or dead. The treasure trove is uh, just, just there. Uh, the the number 30, I, I'd like to just share with you for a moment, because people have asked, how come only 30 when you tell us there are just so many? Well, I continue to write columns. I've actually written another 45 since the book was published, and that's maybe a second book um, with, with updates and rewrites. But the, uh, the reality is that uh, there are so many talented people that that are below that radar line. People would say, well, what about Leonard Cohen? What about Geddy Lee of Rush? What about Drake? And my response was all well-deserving, but in my, my mind's eye, they are above that radar line. They don't need my help. So that's that leads me to my next question, which is why did some of these artists who were well-respected by other musicians never achieve the fame and fortune of some of their peers? Is it, is it luck, um, timing, um, lack of publicity? What, what's uh, at, the, at the bottom of that? Dan, it might be all of those things, but, but sometimes uh, it only takes one hit to, to make your mark. Uh, there's a, a, an, an artist by the name of Mark Jordan, uh, who's an unbelievably talented uh, composer and um, multi-instrumentalist. And um, he wrote a tune called Marina Del Rey. And that, that tune just, just set his career you know, on this wonderful trajectory. There's another fellow who's, who lived, um, Mark Jordan splits his time between Nashville and Toronto today. There's another musician by the name of Ben Mink who lives in Vancouver. He too, a multi-instrumentalist, klezmer, he, he did everything. And somehow he connected with a musician called K.D. Lang. And uh, K.D. Lang uh, basically brought him into the fold and they co-wrote a ton of stuff uh, the most notable one in my mind is a tune called Constant Craving. Oh, great song. Uh, it's a great uh, song. Un unbelievable song. So yep. there are those sorts of things. I'll, I'll tell you about another musician, um, Jerry Gray. Jerry Gray headed a Canadian folk group called The Travelers. And, and Jerry and a former boss of mine who ran an advertising agency in Toronto, and I ran his PR division, uh, Jerry Goodis, um, were, were part of left left-wing socialist-bent families and who summer camped together uh, north of Toronto uh, back in the day. They uh, started singing together. There were hootenannies. There were all these sorts of things, Saturday night entertainment. And on one occasion, Pete Seeger came to this camp. And Pete Seeger gave Jerry Gray his banjo. And he said, I want you to have this banjo. But there's something else I want you to have. And that's a tune that we can't sing in America anymore. This land is your land. Wow. And 
basically he said to Jerry, you know, Lee, Lee Hayes can't sing this. It's a Woody Guthrie tune. I can't sing it. The Weavers can't sing it. But take this and make it your own. Make it Canadian. So there is this Canadian version of this land is your land. This land is my land. And it's just iconic. And it really launched this group, the Travelers, um, globally, in fact. They did tours in Europe and Russia and, 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 and literally everywhere. And they're very much iconic. Um, and, and maybe the, the capping off for this is just, a, 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 you could find this on, on YouTube. Jerry Gray was invited to conduct the Mormon Tabernacle Choir at a concert in Toronto. And he, he probably wore a tux for the third time in his life. Uh, I don't know, there were a couple of bar mitzvahs, so maybe there were maybe this four times. And he was actually conducting This Land is Your Land to the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. And it was just a, a sight to behold. And it was the Canadian version the Mormon Tabernacle Choir was singing in Toronto. I recall the Travelers as a, as a kid. I, I remember they were um, on the Hootenanny circuit and see them occasionally on, on television and also uh, the albums uh, that they, they produced. But like, like some other, I should say probably many other groups uh, at, of that genre at that time, because folk music enjoyed that six or seven or eight year run, very successful run, and then uh, kind of uh, petered out with the appearance of uh, the British invasion and the Beatles and so forth, and popular music went in a different different direction. Is there is there a most surprising find that you'd like to highlight for us? You've given us a few, but is, is there some gem that that you you uncovered that you said, wow, I, I, I just don't believe, you know, that I've discovered this or I've uncovered this, I should say. Well, you know, that's that's a tough one to answer, Dan, because truly every every artist I I look at just generates this to me. And it's the kernel of good journalism. I didn't know that. And, and I'm working on the premise that if I didn't know that, there just have to be so, so many. Um, Oscar Brand, Oscar Brand, here's, here's, a, here's a sidebar fact, and it's in the book. Um, and you talk about the, the folk music trends and everything else. I, was, I too was a disc jockey at the, the University of Calgary radio station uh, in, in my time, uh, in my undergrad years. And uh, Oscar Brand traveled Canada, played literally every university campus there was. And, and, and I just remember the excitement of him coming to Calgary. Wow, because, you know, we, only, we always felt uh, people come to Toronto, maybe Montreal, and they forget the rest of the country. So we were quite overjoyed. Uh, what I subsequently learned about Oscar Brand was that he did a radio show for 70 years in New York City. He had a Saturday night show. I forget the call letters, but it's in the book. Um, he did a Saturday night show that everybody wanted to be on. It was kind of like a, a radio precursor to your Saturday night, you know, to, to, to all of the talk show hosts that we're inundated with today. Oscar Brand did this for 70 years. He didn't take a penny. And there's a whole other side of him. One more little thing about Oscar Brand. He got very involved with the Sesame Street production crew in the genesis of Sesame Street. Uh, and it's rumored, rumored, I couldn't substantiate this, but I, it was rumored that the Oscar the Grouch character was modeled after Oscar Brand. Now, some of the artists that you write about are still working musicians. 
Uh, do you hope that uh, the book may get them to the ears of some music appreciators who may not have heard them before or not appreciated them before? Well, uh, that one's hard to say. I, uh, the book is available for sale on Amazon. There are some there are bookstores, Amazon globally. Um, and and I've, had, I've had notes and letters from people basically just saying, thanks for doing this. Nobody has seemed to have gone as far as I have, I'm told, uh, by more than one person, uh, that, that uh, you're opening up this unbelievable horizon and you're helping create a legacy beyond something like the Canadian Encyclopedia. I mean, I'm sure who many, how many people go to an encyclopedia for information when, you know, you can get misinformation from Wikipedia and, and other places. But seriously, though, uh, my, my sense is I'm, I'm hopeful that people will discover the musicians that I've rediscovered, if you will, and, and, and give them the time of day. There's a, there's a harpist by the name of Erica Goodman. When I first started to do some research the first thought, Dan, that came into my head was, gee, I don't know any kids that I grew up with whose parents wanted them to learn to play the harp. It was the piano. It was the violin. It might have been a, a horn, but the harp. So I checked, I checked and checked and checked, and I found out this unbelievably renowned harpist is number 50 in the world. Number 50. And I'm going, oh, my God. God, you mean somebody says they're 49 better than she is? Like Erica Goodman is just brilliant. So if you have no interest in, 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 in listening to music by a harpist, it's not going to happen. But if you take the time and, and just pick any one of her CDs, any one of her, or just, just go on YouTube, you'll find her stuff. It's, it's, uh, it's quite breathtaking. Well, in tune, in tune with that, um, is, is there a special joy that you get in discovering a musician that, that you are in tune with and, and whose work you can then share with friends and family and a wider audience like, like the harpist? Well, you know, again, it's, it's, it's hard to be specific because uh, every week as I do these, continue to do these columns, which ultimately will get updated, refreshed and repurposed. Um, I keep discovering stuff about musicians that I thought I knew about, but I really didn't know enough. And, and, and for me, it, it's back to the journalism core uh, of, of, of my being. And that, that if I find stuff that turns my crank, I hopefully not naively believe this is going to be of interest to somebody out there. Listen, if you're not interested in music, it's not going to happen. If you're not interested in Jews, it's not going to happen. Uh, if you're not interested in, uh, if you're just not interested in reading, whether whether in a paperback or in an e-book format, it's just not going to happen. But I keep getting these recommendations from people out of the woodwork that that just kind of blow my mind. And I there is no dearth of these somewhat less visible what I've called under the radar musicians to write about. I can do this for as long as I want to. And it's become truly a hobby. And it's, it's just a lot of fun. I kind of look forward every week to finding a few hours to, to pump out a piece on, on, on a, a, a soprano singer who became a cantor. There's another story. Here's an international one. Um, and I, as I talk about a cantor, there was a, a gentleman by the name of um, Salomon Amzalag. 
Salomon Amzalag was known as the Moroccan Charles Aznavour. He, he came to Canada, took off his singing hat and his tuxedo, and became a cantor. He became a cantor at the Spanish and Portuguese synagogue in Montreal. It's the oldest synagogue in Canada. He became their second cantor, but he just switched careers. And I was amazed when I, I this this guy, he was like Frank Sinatra in, in, he did radio commercials, he did jingles. His face was plastered all over billboards in Morocco. Uh, and, and he gave that all up and decided, you know, the call to God was probably much more compelling. Who knew? Do you think, do you think that we collectively have a certain fascination and an appreciation for uncovering an underdog and rooting for that person? In other words, here you, you've uncovered these, these folks who have made these tremendous contributions uh, to music in Canada and globally. Um, and the, the idea of, of kind of revealing or re-revealing these folks to the, to the general public, I think perhaps, you know, there's some special feeling about being able to do that, don't you think? Well, well, I, I must confess it is a rush. It, it is a rush, and I'm not using the name of the group for any other reason than that's that's really what it is. I, uh, I I'm hopeful that that uh, Americans will discover this uh, treasure trove of stuff because so many of these musicians have made it big in their own genres around the world, and 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 in America too. Beyond that, half a dozen of those who who are certainly continuing to fly above the radar and and uh but the, the i'll go back to mark jordan for a second because somebody wrote me i don't know from michigan uh i got this note saying gee i knew mark jordan and i love that tune marina del rey and all the other stuff he's done i knew he was jewish i didn't know he was canadian who knew? I, I get that sort of stuff. In the book, in the 30, I talked about Salomon Amzalag. He's the A. His, his uh, stage name was Sammy El Magribi, S-A-M-Y El Magribi. The Z or the Z in the book is Zalyanovsky from The Love and Spoonful. Yes. I mean, he, I think he was the bass player. He, he was, he was bass a bassist. He was a bassist, but he got into some trouble with the law in the U.S. and, and was deported along with another one of the musicians. He came to a small town um, halfway between Montreal and Toronto, Kingston, Ontario, and he opened up a restaurant. He just gave up the music business, said, I've had it. And the restaurant to this day, which is now run by his daughter, is called Shea Piggy. Well, I remember, remember him well and Love and Spoonful, of course. Uh, what a terrific group. Um, and... And you know, and it's interesting because the music you just don't you don't tire of it. It's it's uh, kind of eternal. How has the reception been in the Canadian media to this, or by music critics? What what are what are they saying? Well, I, I have to tell you, I haven't had a lot of music critique uh, by by uh, by very many people. I've done a, a ton of podcasts and radio interviews. Uh, the Toronto Star. Um, uh, a week, a week. This past Saturday, did a two-page spread on Jewish immigrants. Uh, I, I'll send you the link, but it literally in their culture section. The Toronto Star is the largest daily uh, newspaper still printing in Canada, uh, and it tends to have more of a liberal than a conservative bent. And uh, their 
culture editor basically said this article made me cry because it was tied to the tragedy of Ukraine, tied to the tragedy of refugees, tied to the tra tragedy of, of people in other times. And, and what happened was I had co-authored this piece um, with, with another individual, and we basically looked at the fact that people are on the run and, and our people have always been on the run and, and their escape when they came to the promised land, whether it was the United States or Canada, was for family to be together, for family to interact together, for family to do music together, for family to be together. And, and it just, it, it turned out to be an unbelievably gratifying piece. And I've had, I've had people from um, different parts of North America actually write to me and say, where can I get your book? Because nowhere in the, nowhere in the uh, article did we sort of say here, we're not, we're not hawking it. We're not hawking it in that sense. So uh, at the end of the day, th this has just become such a fun hobby and and an enjoyable one and and you know the book the book seems to be selling uh i don't think it's going to be a bestseller but who knows uh i i would hope more people in america actually take a chance on it and because people go well we've never heard of them we've never heard of them i've never heard of him or her well it's a paperback book 162 pages it's a great read if you go on a cruise, it's a great read if you're sitting on the beach. Final question, David. You've noted that you chose to feature 30 musicians as a nod to your journalism background, 30 being a sign in a new story that the story is done. But it turns out, you say, 30 has become more of a starting point. So you, you say you're working on another book. There are more stories to tell. What does the future hold for uh, this approach? to an appreciation of, of those in the Jewish community in Canada who have contributed so much to the music scene? Well, um, I, I've been fortunate enough so far to do a number of presentations to various uh, temples and synagogues and community organizations. And I'm, I'm happy to do this for as long as anybody wants to listen. I just uh, did a session with a Jewish book council. And um, I don't know if that's going to generate a bunch of a bunch of interest in, in the United States, but I was thinking, gee, I could I could do the southern states in the wintertime, and what a treat that would be for a snowbird, you know, sort of tongue-in-cheek as I say that. But but you know, there's certainly I have enough material I could do another book. Again, the 30 was the beginning. Uh, if if there is a second book, and there could well be, with with I need to refresh. Obviously, would refresh copy. And the biggest challenge, Dan, was to get permission from the artists or their agents or their agencies uh, to give proper photo credits. Uh, one just last reference: uh, Percy Faith, who is a big band leader, a theme from a summer place. Uh, when I tried to get a, I wanted to get a photograph of him without scalping anything from websites and YouTubes and everything else. Couldn't get permission. I finally reached a grandson in Pennsylvania who said, "We don't have the rights to any of his stuff." But there's a photographer uh, who's uh, there's a photographer in Los Angeles whose dad took pictures of movie stars and sports personalities and celebs and everything else. I reached out to this photographer and I said, I desperately need a picture of Percy Faith, but one where he's smiling. 
And the photographer said, I've got one. I said, what do you want? And I was expecting, well, here's a $2,500 bill on the way. And he said, David, if you write your book, I want a copy. I got the book. So you have, you, you got the photograph. I, well, I got the photograph and Percy Faith is in the book. Again, back to that menu of criteria, the criteria menu, uh, you know, big bands, individuals, harpists, flutists, folk music, uh, country. Uh, there's a guy from Calgary who lives in Nashville. His name is Dave Cohen. He's a big producer in Nashville, but he made his mark in country and Western. No surprise from Calgary, maybe. Well, what's interesting to hear about Percy Faith, because I can't tell you how many Percy Faith albums I used to play uh, when I worked in radio. Uh, he was really a prolific um, conductor and, and arranger, I think, for Columbia Records. I think he, he was connected to Columbia for a long time. But this, I, this just gives, I guess, an example of uh, how rich a, uh, a vein you have mined here uh, in terms of... of uh, featuring and highlighting and profiling these personalities. Well, they're, they're really, it really does cover the gamut and uh, it ain't over till it's over. And I don't want it to be over. Well, David Eisenstadt, thank you so much for joining us today to introduce us to these underappreciated musicians. Our thanks to David Eisenstadt, author of Under the Radar, 30 Notable Canadian Jewish Musicians. The book is published by Baronel Books and is available on all Amazon sites in paperback and ebook versions. And thank you for tuning into this podcast. If you enjoyed this interview, make sure you catch all of our programs by subscribing to the Benebrith YouTube channel and liking us on Facebook. And be sure to visit our website, benebrith.org, to learn more about our important work. For my guest, David Eisenstadt, and on behalf of B'nai Brith, I'm Dan Mary Ashen. Join us again soon.